This morning's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and starts at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in his spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. At the start of uh, this year, we thought it would be good to think a little bit about what it means to be church. I'm getting old now. I realize when I, I counted back, almost 40 years ago, I came across a poem in a book. And I was really taken by the poem at the time, so much so that I, uh, I kept a copy of it. Um, unfortunately, I have uh, lost the details of who uh, wrote it. Um, and it's just been something that's been there through uh, the last 40 years, really. Um, it's called, I Have a Dream. And each verse describes a different aspect of church. And, and I kept it all these years because it reminds me of the kind of church I want to be part of. It speaks to me of the kind of place I want to be with people, to worship, to serve, to love. When I was in Prestwick, we brought it out every couple of years or so, just as a reminder of all of these things, of what we were working together towards as a congregation. Some of the language is well, 40 years old, it's a little bit dated uh, now, but there's still something worthwhile in it. Uh, and each uh, verse starts with, I dream of, and then it says, a Bible-focused church, or a praying church, a spirit-filled church, a family church, evangelizing church, a serving church, and a liberated church. And over the next few weeks, we're going to think about uh, each of these words as, as they relate to church. But today, I missed the first one because the first one says, I dream of a worshipping church. When we were doing Advent and, and we, we, we started with worship fully because everything that we do starts with worship. Everything that we do is about God and our response to God, about how he speaks to us and how we hear and what we do about that. And so the first verse says this, I dream of a worshipping church where worship is exciting and invigorating, where people expect to encounter God, where Sunday is a day not to be missed, where celebration is a hallmark and yet where awe and humility are to be found, 
where worship is structured and yet free and flowing, where the Lord's Supper is central, where children as well as adults sense the life of the Spirit. Fiona's done a little bit of explanation about what worship is. Today we cut into a story, the story of the woman at the well. A story in which Jesus and his disciples find themselves in Samaria. Now, that was unusual because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They didn't speak to each other and they would try to avoid each other. And yet, here we are. They find themselves um, near the town called Sychar, which is near a bit of ground that generations before, Jacob had given to uh, his son Joseph. And they had dug a well in that place. The disciples headed off to buy food because it was lunchtime. And a woman arrived to get some water. And again, that was unusual because the women normally came when it was cool in the day to get the water. Turns out, however, this woman has a bit of a reputation and not a good one. And so it's possible that she was there at that time to avoid the other women in the village. And Jesus asks her for a drink, and they enter into a conversation. Again, that's unusual because really, he shouldn't have been speaking to her. He was Jewish, she was Samaritan, but also male and female, and uh, on their own in those days, shouldn't really have been uh, taking place. But Jesus offers her living water, and she doesn't understand that what he's talking about is not something that's come from the ground, but it's a spiritual thing. And so she asks, are you greater than Jacob, our ancestor, who actually dug this well out for us? Can you give us something that he couldn't? And he says something slightly cryptic. Anyone who believes, including her, can have new life from Jesus, which is like a well of water inside you that bubbles up and springs out, or at least it should. Sometimes at this point, I need to say to you, you know, it's okay to smile. You know, as, as Christians, I, some, I mean, I sometimes wonder, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> Trying to be good. So still not understanding, she asks for that water so that she won't have to come to the well every day because she hasn't really understood. And Jesus then gives an out-of-the-blue instruction. Go and get your husband and come back. She goes, oh. <laughs> now, she gave the politician's answer. It was kind of true. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you're absolutely right in saying that. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. She goes, oh. She realized there was something really deeply unusual about this man who, from nowhere, knew all about her and realized that he was a prophet. And that's kind of where we, we came in today. But then it goes on to a conversation about worship. And she asks, where is the proper place to worship? Because the Samaritans thought they were right and the Jews thought they were right. And was worship to be on the mountain where they were, or was it to be in Jerusalem at the temple? Where was the right place? And Jesus said, it doesn't really matter. 
a time is going to come when what is important is what is in your heart. It's not so important where you are. It's not so important that you have a particular ritual or a particular way of doing it. It's what's in your heart that's important. It's that response of your heart to God and what God has done. As a result of this conversation, this woman becomes an evangelist. Because she goes not only to find her husband, kind of, but tells the whole village, come and see this guy. This is amazing. He's told me everything I ever did. And so they come. And two days later, after Jesus has spent time teaching and speaking and being with them, many people in that village have come to faith. And their lives are transformed because they've met Jesus. Well, we live in that time that he spoke of. Worship is not something that happens to us. It's something that we need to be involved in. It's about recognizing the value and the glory and the majesty of Jesus and responding with a sense of awe, of wonder, of faith. It's about listening to God as well as talking to him. It's about rejoicing in his word, responding to the prompting of Holy Spirit. All of that and probably much more is involved in worship. It's a spiritual experience. I think sometimes in church we've been guilty of, of you know, minimizing that and saying, well, you know, we sing and that's our worship. And it might well be, but it's so much more than that. But imagine one day that your entire way of thinking about where and how you worship God is upended in a momentary conversation. Well, that's how some of us felt when we got the presbytery planning document. Because it was an interesting document. Before I, I speak about it, I want to say just a number of things uh, as kind of background. The first is that presbytery planning is a thankless task. It's absolutely awful if you're involved in it. I, I, when we were in Prestwick, uh, I was involved in an air presbytery. It doesn't matter what you do, you're always going to upset somebody. With the best of intentions, with the best of desires to be helpful, you're going to upset people. So it doesn't matter what you do, there are always people who feel that they're going to lose out. And then every presbytery has been working on a 10-year plan. So across Scotland, we've all had these plans. And the 10 years was up last year. So they were due to be renewed last year. And from then we were to have another 10-year plan. But what we realized was that actually not enough had been done in the first 10 years. And we don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough, we've got far too many buildings. And, and we just needed to do something much more radical in terms of the whole Church of Scotland. And so things changed. The General Assembly last year decided that we all had to have a new plan by December of this year, which could be implemented by 2025. And it included a significant reduction in the number of ministries that each presbytery could have. Edinburgh Presbytery is to lose 40%, and that takes us down to 48.5 ministries. Now, that is not just ministers. That is people who are 
perhaps employed uh, as uh, ministry development staff. They're employed uh, centrally by, by the church offices centrally. So 48.5. And I have to be honest, people like me cause a problem to that plan. Because not even two years ago, I was called to Barclay Viewforth Parish Church. And unless something changes at a future General Assembly, I can stay here until I retire in many <clears throat> years. And that really mucks up the plan if we do that. The other thing that you can do, uh, and, and preparatists have done, is what are called reviewable charge. So that's, I'm on, I have full tenure, but some people are on reviewable charge. And what that means is that at one point, Presbytery decides, I'm not sure if your congregation has a really long-term future. So what we'll say is we'll give you five years or seven years, and we'll review it after that point. And if things are going well, then we might leave it. And if they're not, then we'll just call it a day. But each of those reviewable charges has a little clause in it that says we can call it in any time we like and we'll give you six months notice if you're the minister to get out. So you can understand that folk sitting in Edinburgh Presbytery and in presbyteries all over Scotland in that and a reviewable charge are now thinking, oh no. Because it's much easier to get rid of one of them than to get rid of somebody like me who has tenure. The General Assembly asked presbyteries to be radical and Edinburgh has produced a, a document for discussion. All I want to say about that, because I've spoken at length in other places, is it wasn't a particularly good document. Um, there was no accompanying guidance issued uh, about how to respond to the document, um, and it created pretty much mayhem across the presbytery. The city has been divided into seven clusters, and we should have a wee photo just so that you know what we're talking about. There you go, Edinburgh, and it's multicolored. And we are the light blue. We are going to be in that light blue cluster to the south. And then there's another picture. Hopefully there we are. That's, that's the, it looks like a, almost a lovely circle around the city centre, around the meadows and all of that kind of area. Except for that one little bit, kind of at nine o'clock-ish. And that's us. Now, we did ask, why were we not included to complete the circle? No idea. Um, uh, we don't know, is the answer. Uh, there was a, a meeting of Presbytery yesterday, uh, and we, we learned one or two things, but actually none of the questions that we had uh, were answered, and that comment was made a number of times uh, yesterday. But there's another... Um, so, so that's really... That's going to be the proposed new um, 
area that we are working in. And there are four parts to that. So the other congregations that are involved just in that blue-colored area is Collington, Juniper Green, and Slateford Longston. And they have to work together. And then we have Holy Trinity Wester Hales and St. Nicholas Sight Hill. And those two have to be together. And then we have Carrick now, St. David's Broomhouse, and they two have to work together. And then ourselves with uh, Craig Lockhart, Polworth, and St. Michael's. And the four of us have to get together and end up with two ministers. Two of those congregations are reviewable charge. So, <laughs> it's not too difficult to imagine how you're going to get from four to two. But all over the country, people are saying, is that necessarily fair? Is it right? Is that the best way of doing things? So we are not alone by any stretch of the imagination. So that plan, as I said, suggests that the, the, the four congregations are to, to get together to form a union. And normally in the Church of Scotland terms, a union would be everybody goes into the one place. But you end up with this giant parish because our new parish will be the parishes of all four of those together. But what they're saying for now is, no, that's not what we mean by union. What we mean is you will have the kind of management of a union. So you'll have one Kirk session and one treasurer and one... Whatever. But we'll try and keep as many of those buildings open as we can. Because that will be so much easier for the ministers involved. As far as that goes, it's not too controversial. We've been talking... Uh, not with Craig Lockhart, because the original uh, plan had us with Gorgie Dorai Stenhouse. But those congregations, we've been talking with them for about 18 months. We, we've tried to do things together. We had shared uh, services at Advent. Um, and we, we've been trying to work out how we can do things together, because I think it's really important. I think we need to work together. The controversial thing for us is the suggestion that the congregation at Morningside United Church was at the top of the hill at Holy Corner. Um, they're going to be moved out as part of an actual union where their congregation will be expected to go to another congregation uh, and join them. So they're moved out so that we can move in. I have no idea where that idea came from. In all of the discussions we've had up until now, it was never mentioned. It was, you know, not even remotely. It wasn't even done as, as a joke. And yet, here we are. And the first we found out, and the first Morningside United congregation found out, was when we read the document. I'm not wholly supportive of the idea Again, trying to be good. That building is not in our parish. Therefore, it's not going to be in the new parish. So I don't know how it even works. Not only that, the building doesn't belong to the Church of Scotland. It belongs to the United Reformed Church. So I don't even know how that works. 
So there's lots of talking to be done. I want to uh, really do, I really do want to stress that this is a proposal. But the comment was made at the meeting yesterday that it's only not a plan because it's not finished. And it's not finished because at the General Assembly last year, an addition was made to how you do planning and the general trustees of the Church of Scotland who own most of our buildings had to be included. And we are in the process of having um, surveys done of all of the church buildings and halls in Edinburgh Presbytery. And the inference of what was said yesterday is, as soon as that is completed, it will be joined with the original document and it will become the plan. So on one hand, we're saying everything's up for grabs. You can talk to anybody you like and you can talk about whatever you like. But actually, I suspect the reality is this is going to be the plan. Having said that, it is still at the moment a proposal. And I can assure you that we will uh, challenge what is there and seek more information about why it has been proposed and and how that will affect not only us, but that other uh, congregation. Over the next few months, uh, we, that is uh, myself and the elders, will be in discussions with uh, all of the different uh, groups that are uh, involved in this process, our new cluster group, uh, with the relevant committee at Presbytery, and uh, to some extent, at least with the, the congregation at Morningside United. And we will give you regular updates uh, as we get them. Uh, Andrew, who did the reading this morning, is our Presbytery elder. So uh, he uh, comes with me to the Presbytery meetings. Um, and so he and other elders will be involved in this process as we go. I'm going to send you out the document today. I didn't do it just now, um, until now, because of the meeting that was due yesterday. And I had kind of hoped it would get some uh, answers yesterday. Um, it was a vain hope. Uh, but I think it's important that you get the document, that you are able to read it for yourself, to see it and to, um, to, to think about it uh, for yourself. So I'm going to send it out today. If you have not yet registered to get our uh, newsletter update, please go to the website uh, and, uh, and do that and we'll send it out to you. And uh, it will also be on the homepage of the website today. And in fact, that will be the main way of updating folks as we go, uh, is through the newsletter. On the 12th of February, we have a day conference where the Reverend Alan McWilliam is coming. And he's going to lead us in thinking through who we are and how we are called to serve our community. I would like as many people as possible to come to that. Because it's an opportunity to, to talk about those very things. About what, what kind of congregation are we to be? Who is it that's in our community and how are we to serve them? How do we worship? Presbytery planning staff, we know it, it's We know it's hard. <laughs> But we also need to remember that worship is the response of our hearts 
to God. We understand that a building carries memories for people. Memories of joy and sorrow. Thinking back to baptisms and weddings and funerals, maybe even a first romance. Buildings have history. They they speak of witness and ministry and mission, of fellowship and worship. So much tied up in a place. And it's important to recognize and respect that. But whether we go or whether we stay, we choose to worship God. The God who loves us and cherishes us and has plans and purposes for us that have maybe very little connection with the plans and purposes that presbytery have. But therefore are good because he loves us. This is not a time to pause and wait and see what's going to happen. This is a time to step up and say, we are God's people in this place for this time. What does he have for us to do? And then get on and do it. We seek his voice, his wisdom, his power, so that we can serve him and our community, and so that we can worship in spirit and in truth. Amen.